0: The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of First United Methodist Church in Beaumont, Texas. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to love your city with the heart of Christ. God, we ask that by the grace of Jesus Christ, you would take the ordinary thoughts of our hearts and that you would make them a channel for hearing your voice as we open the scriptures this morning. You know exactly what we need and we offer our trust to you. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Imagine for just a moment, if you will, if there was a way that we could experience that all the kingdoms and countries and all the sorts of organizations for which we claim allegiance to would suddenly just disappear. So there would be no countries, no reason to go to the World Cup. There would be no state So no reasons to claim any or brag about Texas barbecue to anybody, no sports rivalries, no alma maters. So suddenly that's how we solve this problem of Alabama winning national championships over and over again. Just gone. We would just simply sit here just exist that's hard to imagine I don't think it's just because we've never actually experienced that I think it has more to do with how we are created we are created to be people of allegiance from the garden and the very first human all the way to now. We are created to be people of allegiance. And and the thing about it is that we don't just claim allegiance just for the sake of it. You don't just go to somebody and and tell them, okay, just tell me about what you claim, who you align yourself with, or who do you root for. I mean, we just don't do that randomly. We claim allegiance with enthusiasm and with much, much, much celebration. I mean, we do it emphatically. I mean, the one place you can go to test this out is go to the local Little League field, right? I mean, tell me that the parents section, I mean, go, if you're going to go to the parent section of the Little League field, I mean, you better be prayed for and prepared for that experience. I think I'm thinking about Little League Fields because as we prepare the move to the next season of our ministry and life as a family, um, our neighborhood is very close to the local Little League Field, and they warned me about that when we were going in. Now, there's two ways to look look about that. That's either an amazing mission field for Jesus, or... We can start praying for my son, Liam, that if this thing about being a pastor when he grows up doesn't work out, maybe he'll be the next Altuve. I mean, honestly, that would be quite quite wonderful as well. I mean, to be honest. So the point I'm making is the question is not whether or not we claim an allegiance to something. Or someone. The question is, what or to who do we claim an allegiance to? You know, our psalm this morning, Psalm ninety-seven, seems to suggest what all of Scripture alludes to and describes our God. God is a God of allegiance. God is a God of covenant. And because God is a God of covenant, He's a God of allegiance. Take a look at verse 10, the way the psalmist describes this. He says, The Lord loves those who hate evil, He guards the lives of the faithful. He rescues them from the hand of the wicked. Light dawns for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. God is the God of covenants. And as such, he demonstrates his allegiance to his people. So how does God do that? I think the psalmist described it quite simply. He dawns his light on the righteous and the joy of the Lord in the upright in hearts. Now what you need to know here is in the Hebrew, the word translated as dawn, where it says he dawns lights is the word saruah, and saruah literally means to sow, or to scattered seed. You recognize that image? It's used often in scripture. This image of of sowing, this image of harvest, of gathering what we sow, of reaping what we sow, Jesus even uses that in his teaching often. So, I, I think this is why I like the New American Standard translation of the line even better than the one we read. Because it reads like this. Light is sown like seed for the righteous and gladness for the upright in hearts. Light and gladness. Who in here would like more light and gladness in their lives this morning? I mean even if you already have light and gladness, it's like going to Sam's and all right, already going to the sample line and going again. As far as I know, there's no sign that, th- that has limit to how many samples you can have at Sam's. And it's free, so you keep going, especially when it's shrimp. Shrimp is expensive, so if they offer it for free, have a lot of shrimp at Sands. Lights and gladness. You want more of that in your life? The psalmist says that you just have to walk faithfully with God. If you want to experience the joy of the Lord, hate evil, hate evil stuff. I mean, that's a strong word. I mean, it doesn't just mean look away. It doesn't just mean let it exist and do nothing about it. It means have a very strong feeling towards evil. It also means don't participate in evil, by the way. if you want more light and gladness, if you want more joy, not just temporary joy, not just pleasure all you need to do for temporary joy is go have a good meal. Go have some Texas barbecue that's the quickest way I know for some temporary joy y'all only gonna remember that, right? I mean I've said that so many times I'm serious, we're gonna have that in heaven and y'all are going to look at me and say, Pastor Severio told us and warned us that this is what we're going to have in heaven. Texas barbecue. Not temporary joy. But the joy of the Lord that's everlasting. The joy of the Lord that follows us everywhere we go. And he guards the psalmist says, he guards the life of his faithful. That word for his faithful, it's more accurately translated as godly. Godly people. I like that even more because that you can't get any more clear. How, how do you know if you're faithful to God as you walk, you remain among the godly? In other words, you have God like qualities in your life. Your life reflects the attributes that we would say about God God's love, God's power, God's faithfulness, God's mercy, God's compassion, God's allegiance. You know, I think we could say about the godly is that they hold no greater allegiance than to God. They can be faithful to many things. They can be loyal to many people. But none, none occupy the throne of God in their lives. And so this morning, as we talk and consider God's allegiance to us, we join the rest of the church in celebrating the ascension of Christ into heaven. And that's a big deal, and I want to suggest, if no one's ever suggested this to you, as big of a deal as Christ's death and resurrection. For if there is no death of Christ on the cross, there is no salvation from sin. And if there is no resurrection from the grave, there is no future with hope to talk about. And if there is no ascension of Christ into the heavenly realm, to the throne, then there is no kingdom no kingdom at all for us to claim allegiance to and so we would be left to sit in a big room like this to simply exist but Christ did die and Christ did rise and Christ did ascend to the throne from where he will come again. And that truth, and that truth asks of us, of you and of me, who's on the throne? Who is on the throne of our lives? And if it's Jesus. And if we are going to claim this morning that it's Jesus who is on the throne of our lives, that is important. And I want to say just two reasons. Using Paul's words to the Ephesians in chapter 2 to explain it. He says like this, But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love of for which he loved us even when we were dead through our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So why is Jesus sitting, that he is sitting on the throne right now a big deal? One, is that it proves that God's allegiance to us Began long before we can claim an allegiance to Him. Because that allegiance started even while we were dead in our sins. Even while we were lost from God. Even while we were not yet free from that which separated us from God. That's how much God loves us. And so it is really free. God's allegiance to us, it's really free. And the second reason this is important, and and I love the way that Paul writes is because he says that after we have been made free from sin, after Jesus has become Lord of our lives, God sits us on the throne with Christ. We share that throne with him and we share it so that we might experience the richness of his power. How many of us are walking through life like we belong to the throne right now? Think about how you are facing and dealing with the hardest thing that you're dealing with. Would you say that you're dealing from a place of the throne? or from a more defeated place a more lowly place one that you might even say you, you, you don't look like you have very much hope right now because I'm here to tell you that if Christ has raised you up from the dead and Christ has seated sit you sits you at the right hand of God with Christ it is for you to walk through this life right now with power It is for you to lead, not to follow. It is for you to create change, not hang your head. Frustrated. It. Defeated. It. Simply longing simply lamenting, what could it be? No, Christ has raised you up for you to experience the power of Christ in this life right now. But here's the catch. The catch is that while Christ raises us up, Christ still remains highly exalted, even while remaining so near to us, nearer than our very breath. That means that we don't take control of our lives back for ourselves. That means that Christ remains the Lord of our entire life, of our decisions, of our future, as of our presence. And that's always been the struggle for Christians. That's always been the struggle to differentiate between prayer as our work and simply praying for God to bless our plans that we're going to do no matter what. There's a huge difference. And Jesus really being Lord of our reality and Jesus being like the retired professor at a university that gets to teach but really has no influence. Well, just ask for your blessing, Jesus. Is Jesus really on the throne? And is he really our king? And is he really in charge? It's the question for those of us who claim allegiance to Jesus. So the question again. Is Jesus' throne my throne? Is Jesus' throne our throne? Is the kingdom of Jesus really our kingdom? Because if it's not, if there really isn't a kingdom then the best that I can do for you this morning is simply encourage you to better yourself as best you can. And if you're so inclined, be nice to one another. But if there is, if there really is a kingdom, and if Jesus really is the king of our lives, or if this morning you decide, I want Jesus to be my king. Then what they're the only thing left to say. is, let's live like it. Let's resolve to live like Jesus is on the throne. And Jesus is really our king. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.